This morning we will be looking at John chapter 13, verses 33 to 35. And then 1 John, that is John's first letter, also chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. Each of these passages is the inspired Word of God. The Word of God is completely without error. The Word of God is completely sufficient. And the Word of God is completely authoritative. Let's begin then with John chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then turning now to John's first letter, chapter 3 and verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Everyone, whoever does not love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, Lord, teach us to love. And more than that, Lord, give us hearts that beat afresh with love for our brothers forged by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. As truth and assurance that we have passed from death into life, let us love one another. 
This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are in the second of our eight-week series on what it means to be a covenant community. What it means to be a part of a fellowship, of a community, of a church that has been forged by the Lord Jesus Christ after His own image and that the Spirit of God each day more and more works in us the image of Christ. As the image of Christ is brought in us, we should see more and more these characteristics. We looked last week at what it meant to be a humble community, to be humble like our Lord Jesus, as he was described in Philippians chapter 2. And this morning, we look at what it means to be a loving community, here with the apostle of love, John. This is all the more important today as God's people. Because you see, today the world speaks an awful lot about love. It says that this is love, or that is love. Or it tells us we ought to love in a certain way. But the reality of the situation is that while the world speaks of love, it does not act in love. And so the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is a safe haven for us. It is a place where we know we are accepted. And in that acceptance in Christ, we are free to open up to relationships to others, to put others first, and to show love one for another. You see, it is Jesus who defines love truly for us. Love is not merely a feeling. Love is not something you figure out by taking an opinion poll. Love is something that Jesus designs for us. And so this morning, I would like us to see from these passages three things about love. First, that love is a command. Now, right away, that just seems very odd. Because we are trained to think about love as some sort of vague, amorphous feeling, but not so according to the Scriptures. Love is a command. Secondly, we see that love is action. It is not something that we merely say or think about. It is something that we exercise. It is something that we act out. Love is an action. And then thirdly and finally, we can only know truly what love is when we understand and believe that love is from God. Love is not outside God. Love is not some absolute that God aspires to. Love comes from God. So let's begin then this morning by looking at John chapter 13 with love as a command. The very first thing that we see is that love begins with Jesus. It doesn't begin with desires. It doesn't begin with hopes. It begins with Jesus and who He is. And this is important because First and foremost, we need Jesus to help us to understand what love is. Our definition is so often misplaced, isn't it? If we were to go out on the street and to take a survey or a poll, one thing I'm almost certain we would find in commonality with people as they talk about love, and that is that most of the world today believes that love is me-centered. It's about 
my needs. It's about my desires. It's about my wants. It's about my preferences. Love is something that I feel when I am happy about something that pleases me. The great problem is that this kind of love is also extremely destructive. We see this everywhere in the world today. We see it as families are ripped apart, as marriages are torn asunder, because personal, me-centered love is more important than commitments and promises and vows. No longer are we able to persevere through difficulties and strife because it seems that the highest goal in our world today is comfort and self-satisfaction. This kind of love destroys children. It destroys businesses. It destroys society itself. And this is where we are, brothers and sisters. Now the good news of the gospel is is that we are not called to change en masse the opinions of 300 million Americans. We are called to be a city on a hill, a home where the lost can find purpose and hope. We are called to be a beacon of love, and that begins with listening to Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, love is hard. You don't know all the trouble that I'm going through. You don't know all the details of my marriage or how my parents have hurt me or how my children have rebelled against me or how my neighbors and co-workers criticize me. No, I may not. But Jesus does. And I want you to look specifically at the context in which Jesus speaks of this commandment to love and tells us what love is. If your eyes go just up a bit in chapter 13, you will see that at the darkest day in our Lord Jesus Christ's life, as he turns to his disciples and tells them that one of them will betray him, he gives them a commandment to love. And then even as Peter, as he so often does, jumps to the forefront and says, though everyone would betray you, I would not, Lord. Jesus knows better. He says, you'll deny me. You see, the context here for our Lord is not some smooth, easy time. As a matter of fact, if we're honest with ourselves, that's when it's easiest for us to think we are loving, when everything is going our way. But true love, real love, steps into the pain of life steps into the hardship of life, when things aren't going our way, when we have to sacrifice, when there is a cost. That is what love is. And so Jesus here gives a command, not just to the disciples, but to you and to me, to each and every one of us that claim the name Christian. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now that, Jarring language is enough to get our attention. New? Does that mean they didn't need to love each other the whole rest of the time Jesus was ministering? Does that mean the Old Testament saints didn't need to love one another at all? Is this just starting now? Is this the new plan, Jesus? No. I don't think Jesus means new in the sense here that there was never a command to love. What Jesus is doing here is he is giving it great emphasis. It is now the mark of His church. It is what it means to be gathered together into the body of Christ. 
So much so that we'll see in just a minute, it is how others will recognize the body of Christ. And it is more than simply an order that we hear. We have a lot of those today, don't we? There are all kinds of laws and rules and regulations that come down on us. And all we need to do is to be passive and to avoid messing up. Don't go over the speed limit. Don't pollute your yard. Don't put your trash out on the wrong day. But you see, Jesus does not just give an order. This is something that requires our action. It is a precept that we are to follow for the entirety of our life. It is to mark our life. And it is broad in its extent. Do you see this? We are to love one another. And you are not permitted to add in italics, except for those people who annoy you. Only if people are nice to me. Only if I feel like it. There is no limitation. And you see, this is a great challenge for the church and shows us the nature of love. Because if we are honest, we are called to love all of each other. And there are many among us that we don't even particularly like. They don't like the things that we like. They've said things to us that seem sharp or harsh. But you see, Jesus says, there is no limitation to this. This is a commandment that comes from your king. There is no negotiating with Jesus. And Jesus gives us not just a command, but he gives us an example. You see, this command is also new in its extent. Because we see the example of Jesus. Jesus is love. We are to love each other as he has loved us. His love is life-giving. His love is other-centered. His love is unconditional. It comes to us despite who we are. He first loved us when we were still in our sins. You know, one of the ways to think about how Jesus is love and how we can follow after him is to look at one of the most famous passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And I believe, even though there's not a wedding taking place, I can read from it. You see, somehow we put that in a wedding ceremony mode. But what I want you to do is think about what that scripture teaches us and teaches us that Jesus is the prime example of love. So you'll forgive me if I take small liberties and read to you from 1 Corinthians 13 that Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. This is who our Lord Jesus Christ is. This is the example for you to follow. And this kind of love that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, it gives life to the church. It builds us up in Christ. It makes us more like Jesus. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Because have you ever watched children act like their parents? You see... The more they see their parents do things, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they cut their food, then they they want to emulate that, and they begin to do that. And then inevitably you look at them and you say, you're like a mini version of your dad. 
So why should it surprise us that if we seek to follow Jesus and to emulate Jesus and to be like Jesus, that we would actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be made day by day more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Then you have to love. You have no option. Love also brings us together. You see, love is active. It is a verb. And active love means relationships. Husband to wife. Children and parents. Brothers and sisters. Friends. Co-workers. Neighbors. You see, there is always a corporate dimension to the work of Jesus Christ. I think too often in America today we focus exclusively on what Jesus did for me. That is great and glorious. But Jesus did not just come to individually save people. He gathers them together into an adopted family that they might be a community to shine for the world and so that they might exercise their gifts together and the chief among them is love. You know the old illustration. When you go to a fire made up of hot coals and it blazes, and then you take one coal out of the fire and you place it on the side, what then begins to happen? It begins to grow faint and cold. And the flame may even go out. That's a picture of the church. There is a reason why in God's design He has gathered us together as a covenant community because He desires that our love for the Savior would be on fire, would be unquenchable. And this is where our love for one another comes in. Love also provides a powerful witness to the world. There is no more powerful witness to a world without love than to love one another unconditionally. You can have every Bible verse you want to quote. And if people know you don't love one another, they don't listen. You could pray all the prayers you want to pray, and if people know you can't stand one another, they won't listen. Because you see, what we preach from the Scriptures is that Jesus changes us, and He changes hearts, and He gives us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, and hearts of flesh beat and love. And when we do not, we belie the truth of God's Word in our lives. We are to be known as a people of love. Secondly, love is action. We see this, let us turn together to John's first letter in chapter 3. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love is an action. Because the gospel message is about love. After all, what is the gospel but the story of Jesus' self-sacrifice and of the call that comes to you and to me as we follow the gospel to sacrifice ourselves? What is the gospel but to be eager to forgive? If we are forgiven, how can we not forgive? If we are loved, how can we not love? And you see, love is active and it begins with restraining us or keeping us from evil. Because you see, a lack of love is a sign of the evil one. 
John gives us a wonderful illustration of this from the pages of Scripture itself, the story of Cain and Abel. You remember the story that God commanded them to make sacrifices. And how did it begin? Well, it began in Cain's heart with disobedience to God. Cain thought he knew what the proper sacrifice was. He wasn't going to bring God the sacrifice that God wanted, but the one that was appropriate for himself. And then what happened? Then as his sacrifice was not accepted and Abel's was accepted, he began to move down, the, down toward the pit to a second stage. He moved to excusing himself. It wasn't his fault. It was Abel's fault. It was God's fault. And that tended still even more downward to the hatred of others. He begins to nourish a hatred of his brother in his heart. And then following after his father, the devil, who has always been a murderer, it culminated in violence. Now just think about that chain. Disobedience, excuse, hatred, violence. I'm not reading from the newspaper, but I could be, couldn't I? It's everywhere in our society where people disobey the Lord God and that brings about the need to excuse themselves and a hatred for all that is good and we see the violence that is visited upon the world. The only cure for that is the work of God and love. You see, love fights self-centeredness. It is So easy today to be self-centered, isn't it? Everything revolves around us. You know, we don't even have to be taking a selfie to put ourselves forward in front of everyone else. But love makes us take a back seat, doesn't it? You see this, perhaps I think most dramatically, with new parents. You see, when people first get married, a man and a woman they still have some of their own emphases and desires. They still think about themselves. Even though they are married and they they do think of their spouse, it's harder to leave behind the me-centeredness. But as soon as you put a baby in the mix, you begin to give up things of your own that you never thought you would. Like sleep. You do things you never thought you would do. I recall vividly waking up in the middle of the night with one of my children in a crib and coming to go see what was wrong and going down to scoop up the baby and coming up with a handful of vomit. That's what you do when you're a new parent. You put aside yourself. Not because the baby can participate in family life. Not because the baby contributes to the value of the home. But because of the love that you have for the child. This is what love is all about. Love fights self-centeredness and love fights jealousy. You see, that was Cain's problem. He was jealous of his brother and that is where the enemy will attack you. When you have love for someone else, you rejoice when they rejoice. You're not jealous of the blessings that have been given to them. Love fights jealousy. Perhaps also very vividly, Love does not respond in kind. You see, 
John tells us this here. He says, do not be surprised in verse 13, brothers, that the world hates you. You shouldn't be surprised because Jesus told us in John 15 that the world hated him first. You should expect bad treatment at the hands of the world. I have a news bulletin for you all. The world that we appear to be entering into today with a government that is hostile to Christianity and Christ, with a society that seeks to turn God's morals upside down, to persecute Christians, to ostracize them, to force them to do wickedness, this is not the beginning of abnormality. This is the normal state of affairs in the world. We have been given in America a very brief period of peace in which the church could grow. And now we are experiencing what our brothers and sisters experience all throughout the world. But you see, the greatness of a love that comes from the living Christ is that it does not respond in kind. And even as Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are to respond in kind. We do not respond with hatred or agony, we show love. By grace, we break the chain of wickedness. If it does not stop with us, who does it stop with? It will not stop with the world. It must stop with the church of Jesus Christ. And this is exceedingly difficult in the church. Because you see, we must be people who forgive rather than nourish bitterness. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's harder than we make it out to be. You see, there are people in the church who have hurt us, who said things that are unkind, who don't understand us, who take us wrongly, who perhaps even abuse us. And the easy thing for us to do is to avoid them at all costs. To somehow act as if there's a wall in the midst of the community of Christ and that we are walled off from them and that we can nourish our own bitterness against them. Or if it gets too bad, we can simply leave one assembly and go to another. But you see, love does not respond in kind. It responds with grace. Secondly, love drives us to good deeds. Love does not expect a reward. Believe it or not, our lives are more than a series of transactions. And it is love that really shows the nature, the depth, and the reality of our relationships one with another. As we do things for the other person's sake, for love's sake, not for what we could get. What would you think if you met a married couple? And when you asked the husband... If he was buying his wife a birthday present, he said, Well, yes, I have to. If I don't buy her a present, she won't get me one. And I want certain things. So that's our deal. I buy her something, and then she buys me something. That's our deal. And if the wife chimed in, of course. And I expect him to spend the exact same amount on me that I spend on him. And we have an auditor that comes in and checks us. Every three years. And then we have a true up. You wouldn't think that was a very solid marriage, would you? Of course not. 
But how could a church survive in that kind of environment where we only do things for others because they've done for us? Oh, I'll help out in your ministry in the kitchen, but only if you volunteer for Sunday school. Oh, I'll teach Sunday school, but only if you play the hymns I like next Sunday. You see, the church is a place where we are called to grow and to serve. I challenge you this week, it's a good week with the beginning of fall, to find an area in the church where you can serve others and shower love upon them. Whether it's as simple as helping to set up for a meal, whether it's working with the children in Sunday school or in children's worship, whether it's helping to stack chairs, whether it's helping to paint. Find an area in which your gifts can be exercised and you can see the relationships you have with others with love. Because you see, love is not just talk. John tells us that. He says, don't just love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Because just talk is horrible. You know, if you were hungry, there would only be one thing worse than being very hungry. And that would be being very hungry and someone walking up to you and saying, you know, I see you're hungry, I'll give you some food. And then they don't. Because then now you're hungry and annoyed. There's nothing worse than someone pretending they care for you, pretending they're going to do for you, and it's only just talk. Real love is rolling up your sleeves. It's watching children in the nursery. It's making sure the kids are well-behaved in worship. It's encouraging someone to use their gifts. It's speaking to someone who doesn't know the language in an ESL class. That is real love. It is costly. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you a bit of yourself because you bond with other people. And you have to be willing to be hurt to show real love. We must be more than a source of pious words to each other and to our community. And in this we see that love is from God. When we see that love is from God, it answers our doubts. You see, in verse 19 we read, By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. We know who we are because of the love that God has given to us. We doubt ourselves, don't we? There are times when we are caught up in a sin and it depresses us and discourages us and perhaps even we wonder whether we have a true relationship with Christ. When we lack the evidence before us of knowing what Jesus has done in our lives. And we are always constantly under attack from the enemy Encouraging those doubts. We also have doubts about our community, don't we? Because the only thing that's worse than my sin is somebody else's sin. It's easier to see. There's always something to point out. We're not going to have a meeting afterwards to catalog all the sins of this congregation. It would take far too long. You know the old saying, the church is full of hypocrites. And in a way, it's true. Because the only way to get away from hypocrites would be to get out of the world. We are all not as we will be. 
Of course what we strive for, of course our words are greater than the reality because we have not achieved glorification yet. We are still a work in progress. And that means we are going to hurt one another. We are going to shame one another. We are going to be mindless about one another. But you see, the strongest evidence of the reality of our profession is the love that is found in the midst of that. (coughs) Forced obedience will fade away. Retreat from the world and the church will simply lead you to discouragement. It is love that gives you hope. Because love is evidence of change. Love means that God is at work in your life. And love is not of the world. So brothers and sisters, if we believe in the supernatural, we have to move beyond the natural. To supernatural love that can only be empowered by the living God himself. We need to see that we depend upon God and that others depend upon us. And Jesus wants us to have confidence in him. And often where we see this is in the worst of circumstances. In the direst of needs, we see love, and that gives us great hope. Finally, love assures our relationship with the Father. It gives us a great assurance. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given to us. The commandment is given to us that we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. You see, we are called to believe in Christ. We are called to obey God and we are called to love one another and we cannot do this by ourselves. The only way we can do this is by the power of God working in our lives. And that in and of itself is an assurance of our relationship with the Father. The fact that we are able in some small way to exercise love for our brothers and sisters assures us that it can only come from the Father and that we have a relationship with the Father. Even the love we have one for another assures us of our relationship with God. That God abides with us and that the Spirit abides in us. This is the call that comes out to the church of Jesus Christ today. To be a people who are loving. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark and hate-filled world. And to stand up and to show the love of Christ to each other and to a world who desperately needs Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is none like You. Lord, you are the fountain and source of all love. Love gets its meaning and purpose from your character and your attributes. And so we ask, O Lord, even as you are forging in us the image of Christ, that you would forge in us an image of love, of hearts who seek after you. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of the one who is love himself our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.